Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. We are honored you've chosen to listen and pray you're blessed by this talk. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit bravechurch.org. It's great to see all of you. Pastor Darren has been going through a series, Principles for a Happy Life, found in the book of Philippians. And Pastor Darren's been talking about true joy and how we can, we can walk in happiness. And, and so in a few moments, we're going to read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. But I want to just set a few things up. One is, there's a gentleman, how many of you have ever heard of Gary Smalley? Those of you who are, yeah, that's right, okay. That means you're all boomers at least. But Gary Smalley's been a pastor and a speaker for years and years and years. And in the 80s, 1880s, in the 80s, he, he developed a series that he entitled Love is a Decision, which I thoroughly agree with. You know, if you ever want to have an intriguing discussion with people at work or friends or family and the topic of love comes up, ask them to define it. Because it's a word that's used often and very, very rarely defined. But he's taught this, this series called Love is a Decision. Absolutely correct. Well, I say that to say this. Happiness and joy comes in the same type of a package. We can make decisions that put us in line where we will experience more happiness. Whoops. I love technology. More happiness and greater joy. A lot of times people think that happiness, happy people are just lucky. He was born lucky. She was born lucky. Or they think that happiness comes from the things that the American culture says we should pursue. Possessions, houses, nicer cars, nicer clothes, and on and on and on and on. But if you think about it, and I'm sure you have at one point or another, you realize that you know there are people who possess millions of dollars and huge homes and they can go anywhere they want and do anything they want and they're not happy. In fact, some of them take their lives. Some of them have ruined their lives. Happiness isn't the result of pursuing possessions. In fact, let me just, as we begin tonight, let me just make this point. Happiness isn't something you should pursue at all. Happiness isn't a thing you can lay hold of. And that's the mystery that we're going to look at. Happiness is a byproduct of something else. You know, people sometimes mistake that happiness and pleasure are synonymous. Pleasure and happiness are not the same. In fact, many people, in fact, probably some people in this room, I know the gentleman standing here when he was younger, thought that pleasure and happiness were the same thing. But you can have pleasure, and as soon as the pleasure is over, guilt and unhappiness can ravage your heart and mind because you realize that that pleasure isn't satiating something deeper in your soul. So we're going to talk a bit about happiness, and I want to submit to you that happiness can be a decision. So here, picture a piece of paper here, and we're going to draw a line at the top. That's going to be for the title bar, and a line down the middle. So we have two columns. Over here is the word unhappiness, and over here is the word happiness, okay? I believe that intuitively most people know the things that cause happiness. It's a simple and intuitive phenomenon. But we never really think that much about it. So I'm going to throw out some words, and you can answer. You, you can tell me what column they go in. Would this type of person tend to be a happy person or an unhappy person? And, you know, for example, let's say impatient people. Where would they go? Would, 
I don't know too many impatient people that are happy people. They're not happy campers. They're difficult to be around. How about, have you ever met just a dyed-in-the-wool, really arrogant person? I have. And the arrogant people I have met are mean and condescending, and I would put them right over there in the unhappy. How about cruel? Where would you put a cruel person? How about generous? Why? Oh, anyway. How about kind? How about patient? And we could go on and on and on. In fact, these things are seemingly self-evident, aren't they? It's like, well, that's obvious. That's obvious. If it's so obvious, though, how come so often we're not experiencing that happiness? So what we're going to do is we're going to look in Philippians chapter 2. And it dawned on me, I actually brought a real Bible. What's so funny in the old days, which goes back, I don't know how many days we have to go back for this. I would go through a Bible about every three years and they would fall apart. This falling apart too. I heard a statement when I was a young believer. It's better that your Bible be falling apart and you be all together. than your Bible be all together and you be falling apart. And I think that there's some wisdom in that. But then it dawned on me that my, the translation I have here and the one I put on the slides are different. So what I'm going to do is we're going to go ahead and read Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 and following. And if you'd go ahead and bring up the first slide with that text on it, and we'll read from here. Let's read. Let me read it to you. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Philippi. And he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. You want to pay attention to the two individuals he mentions here, Timothy and another individual, Epaphroditus, because we're going to draw four lessons from these two individuals. Paul says, I I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him. This is the Apostle Paul making a statement about an individual. Pretty profound statement. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone else looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Let's move on to the next text. The next slide, please. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, and look at what he says about this individual, my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him also to you, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I might have less anxiety. Have you ever met a spiritual person? Here's what I mean by a spiritual person. There are people who love Jesus. I kind of think of myself and probably most of us just people who love Jesus. But every once in a while, I run into someone who loves Jesus, but they're really, really, really spiritual. I mean, it's almost like they float when they walk. You know, it's just amazing. 
And they have their own language. Bless God. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb. And, 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 they, they, and I, I go like, what's wrong with them? Where did they, they learn to talk like that? And here's my point. See the last line here? Paul is saying that you might see him again, and you may be glad, and I might have less anxiety. Paul evidently once in a while experienced anxiety. The apostle Paul. Have you ever worried? Oh, you liars. <laughs> it's okay. It's part of the human condition. That isn't the lesson. That's a freebie. Okay. So, Pastor Darren asked me if I'd make, <laughs> if I'd make um, some notes for you. So, Jonathan helped me cut the notes. And you can see between Jonathan and I, we did a really, really good job. But you can follow along if you like with these notes and what have you. But what I want to do is I want to look at four points that the Apostle Paul makes. And these points or these principles are the things that, that help us grow in peace, in joy, in happiness. And I believe that if you're an individual like, well, like me, I, I believe it's important to be honest, okay? Some folks are naturally, just by their disposition, more up. And some folks, by their disposition, it's the way they're wired. It's not that there's anything wrong. Are more down. And you know what? I'm more that kind of a person, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm more that kind of a person. I'm also, some of you might not recognize this, I'm also an introvert. Yes, I am an introvert. I'm not kidding you. If you give me a choice, I'll be home with a book or taking a walk by myself or I'll put the top down on my little sports car, turn the music up loud alone and drive through the hills. And people, they'll, they'll see me and they go, oh, Phil, you're not an introvert because they, they see me in this position. But I'm working in my gifting here. God has called us and gifted us, and part of the gifting he's given me is that of a teacher and and an encourager. But we all have our different strengths and our different weaknesses. We all struggle with different things. But God has given us the means whereby we can be changed, and I want to be someone who grows in the joy of the Lord. I would rather be happy, amen? I would rather have a good attitude. And so the Apostle Paul gives us four points that I think we can glean some insight from. So the first one I want to look at is what he says about Timothy. And let's bring up the next slide. Well, four traits, maybe we don't have a slide. But the first one is to shift your focus. Is there a text after this one, Tana? There we go. Let me just read this real quickly. Again, we read it a moment ago. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone else looks out for their own interests, not those of the Lord Jesus. Pastor Darren has been talking about principles that will make us happy or that we might know a greater joy. And the first observation that we're making here is sometimes we have to change our focus. Sometimes we have to change our focus. Paul speaks of Timothy, and look what he says. I have no one else like him, for he genuinely looks out for your interest. When was the last time 
You walked into a room. Maybe a friend of yours was having a party and there were 10 or 15 people over at their home and and you were invited over and you walked into the room and when you walked into the room, you walked in with this attitude asking yourself, Lord, who do you have here for me to bless in some fashion? And by bless, it might just mean you go over and you introduce yourself and you're visiting and you're talking and you're building relationship or some other thing. But when was the last time you walked into a room and you thought to yourself, what can, who in this room am I here for specifically to be a blessing to? Now, I'm going to just be honest. I don't do that a lot. But we should. Paul the apostle, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, is bragging on Timothy. And what he says about Timothy, now remember, Paul had a multitude of people who labored with him. It might be a Silas, it might be a Barnabas, and on and on as you read through the book of Acts and you read through the epistles. Paul names all these people, but he names specifically Timothy, and he says, I have no one else like Timothy. He is genuinely concerned for your welfare. And so I have to ask myself, and we should... Consider the question, do I need to refocus on other people instead of me? Usually, we are focused on ourselves. Sometimes we're focused on ourselves, but it's such a natural phenomenon, we're not even aware uh, how, how, you know, how we're focused on our, ourselves, making sure while I'm talking, I look just right. Oh, you've done it too. I taught a, a series many years ago. Let's see if I can remember the, the title of it. Refocus, retool, renew. That was a series. It was about a 10-week-long series. Refocus, retool, and renew. And by the refocusing that we're talking about here and the refocusing that I was thinking about in that series is, Phil, get your eyes off of yourself. And get your eyes off of what the world says is important. And get your eyes on what God says is important. In John chapter 5, Jesus made this statement. He said, I only do that which I see the Father doing. That's a profound statement. Jesus went through life day by day looking for what the father was doing. So if he had gone into that room, I don't think it would be presumptuous to think that he went into that room that I was talking about a few moments ago, and there's 15 people, and he's probably asking himself, Father, what are you doing in here? What do you want me to do? Time for true confession. This happened to me last Thursday, I think it was. Might have been Wednesday, just last week. I'm doing some work for Ford, and I was uh, at lunch, And I was walking across the street, and I was going to a Chinese place to get some Chinese food. And I looked over my shoulder, and there was a young man following, you know, probably 21, 22. He works for Ford also. In fact, he and I have, we've struck up a friendship. I've actually had an opportunity to share a little bit about the Lord with him, etc. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a, he's a prime, if you will, candidate for being a child of God. But here I am, focused on me. So I'm walking, and I'm 
going to this Chinese restaurant. I see this young man, and I said, hey, how are you doing? And he said, I'm doing well. And I said, where are you going? And he goes, I'm going to McDonald's. And he asked me, where are you going, Phil? And I said, well, I'm going over to the Chinese place. And he said, well, I hope you have a nice lunch. And I walked another 10 steps, and I thought, that was dumb, Phil. You missed it. And I looked over my shoulder, and he was in McDonald's. Here's what I should have done. And I thought this before I did this message. I thought, I should have said, hey, you want to go with me to over here? Now, he probably would have said, eh, I don't have the money. Then I should have said, I'll buy. It would have cost me another 5 or $10. Even as poor as I am, I could afford that. And then we would have sat down and been able to develop a deeper relationship. But I had my eyes on me. And my prayer and my desire, Lord, help me to be more focused on other people. Their needs, where they're going. So the first point is, if we want to maximize our life and our joy and our happiness, get your eyes off of you. And get them on other people. What did, somebody asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And then Jesus said, and here is the second. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he made this statement after this. In these two, the whole law is fulfilled. If we commit ourselves as best we can to loving God and loving people, we have fulfilled, so to speak, the law. I want to be about the Father's business. Amen? It doesn't take rocket science. You know what it takes? It takes someone just like you being nice. I remember a pastor years and years and years ago. I was like 20 years old or 22 years old, and he made this statement to 2,000 other pastors. He said, play nice. And everybody chuckled. But I thought, that's insightful. Plain nice. Be friendly. What a radical concept for the kingdom of God. Seriously. Take your eyes, fill off of yourself, and, and when you run into so-and-so, take a few moments. Love on them. You'd be amazed. I, I remember year, uh, years ago, someone told me, I better pay attention to the time, too, because we're almost done with point one. <laughs> what time do we usually stop, Rena? What time do we usually stop here? 7.15, okay. All right. Um, We'll skip what I was going to say. Shift your focus. If your focus is more on you and what you can get for yourself, you'll never be happy because that's not the way it works. In the book of Acts, they were quoting Jesus and Jesus being quoted in the book of Acts said this, it's more blessed to what? Give and receive. There's blessing in giving, and I'm not talking about money, although it could include that. How about your time, your energy, your caring, your emotional energy? Give to people. Care for people. Love on people. I've worked, I I guess I'm, yeah, I've been around a while, getting up there. So I've been working for decades and decades and decades. And I don't remember, I'm sure there is, anybody I disliked. There are people who are harder to like. And I don't remember, and I'm sure there are, anybody who dislikes me. You want to know why? I just like people. Just be friendly. 
You don't have to be an extrovert. I'm not an extrovert. When you see someone smile, how you doing? You'd be amazed how being friendly will open a door for you to share the light of Christ in someone's life. Take the focus off of you and put it on God. When you put the focus on God, suddenly he'll say, hey, Phil, this way. Or he probably won't say Phil to you, but that way. So let's go on to the next slide, please. Point two, become someone people trust. We're talking about Timothy again, and I think there's a scripture after this one. Is there, Donna? Look at this. This is what Paul said about Timothy again. He says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself. He's proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him to you to see how things are going, etc., etc. Paul says of Timothy, he's proved himself. How did Timothy prove himself? Timothy was a young man. The apostle Paul came upon Timothy and he was obviously impressed with him and he took him under his wing and he started discipling him. And Timothy was with Paul for days and weeks and probably several years. The apostle Paul was pouring himself into Timothy and you know how that started? Hey, Timothy, will you do me a favor? Some chairs need to be set up over here. When I first became a believer, I was accepted in, I was, I had long hair and bare feet and big bell bottoms and this, a bunch of Presbyterians accepted me. I stood out like a sore thumb, but they loved on me and it changed my life. And if there was something that needed to be done, I did it. Oh, you need some chairs set up? Oh, you need something swept? Because the scripture says, he who is faithful in the little more will be entrusted to you. So do whatever needs to be done. Here's what was happening with Timothy. Paul took him under his wing. Paul started investing himself in him. I doubt if Timothy ever realized that there'd be two books in the Bible named after him. First and second Timothy, this is the guy. This is the guy. But he started as a young man with potential and Paul watched him. Let me submit a thought to you. You're being watched by everybody. Anybody who knows you're a Christian who isn't, odds are they're watching you. And here's my thought about that. It should be that way. It should be that way. They want to know, first of all, most people have been sold a bill of goods about what Christians are, that they're this and they're that and the other. I, the, the things people tell me and I'll respond to them and go, I don't know anybody like that. Well, I thought you were a Christian. I am. That's the problem. Maybe you're being a little bit manipulated here. But they're watching you. You want to know what they want to know? If you're really real. If what you say and what you do line up. Are you the same person here at church as you are at work? I am. Are you the same person at home? as you are when you're playing somewhere. There should be a continuity. Look, at we all fall short. We're not talking about perfection. For the believer, for the man or the woman, young or old, who has fallen in love with Jesus and knows the Savior, sin should be the exception. Do we sin? Yes, I sin. But it's the exception. By the grace of God, I'm trying to live for him. And people in the world, you know what? They're watching Because they want to know if it's real. They want to know if it's true. Become someone who people can trust. The Apostle Paul said about Timothy, 
There's no one I have in my sphere like him. I can trust him. I want to be that type of a person. I know an individual, I won't go into great detail, but he owned a clothing store. And he used to tell me stories about when he was back in New York owning this business. And he said to me once, you know, Phil, all of our transactions were just a handshake. You didn't have to sign contracts. It was just a handshake. And he said, sometimes you'd shake that person's hand, you'd go away, and on this end, the cost would go up substantially. But I had agreed for such and so, and that's what I delivered it for. And so he took a bath on this end, but on this end, his reputation increased and business increased. Be a man or a woman that people can trust. It's a wonderful commodity. And when you are that kind of a person... There is a joy that builds up. There is a happiness. There is a peace that will envelop you. Again, happiness isn't the result of going and getting high. It isn't the result of having a brand new car. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, but you've had this experience. I've had this experience. I wanted something. I bought the latest something, and two weeks later, a nicer latest something came out. And suddenly, I was coveting the nicer latest something. You're not satiated with things. That's not what satiates you. That's not what satisfies us. That's not what brings us joy and peace and happiness. What brings us joy and peace and happiness is when we care for people. Because that's the way God's made us. When you love, you want to give. For God so loved the world that he gave his very best, his only begotten son. Any of us who are parents, and especially those of us who are grandparents, we have to be held back because we want to just give and give and give and we don't want to spoil. But it's the nature of love to want to give. And guess what? We're called to love God and love our neighbor. I want to encourage you, be a trustworthy person. Now, there's a couple of passages here. Well, here's some questions we can ask ourselves. Do you keep your word? Do people trust you? Let's go to the next slide. I think there's a couple of passages. These passages are from the message translation. It's a paraphrase, but it's kind of fun. The first one, Proverbs 25, 13. Reliable friends who do what they say are like cool drinks and sweltering heat. Refreshing. Isn't that true? When a friend says they're going to do this or that and they come through even when they have to sacrifice, you bless God for people like that. And then this other passage is a 180 from it. It's the other side. Trusting a double crosser when you are in trouble is like biting down on an abscessed tooth. Ow! If you want to know joy, if you want to know fulfillment, if you want to know happiness, take your focus off of self, believe it or not, put it on God and on others. And then be the type of man or woman who is faithful and trustworthy. No hypocrisy. Now, do we all fall short? Yes. As Christians, we understand there's a tension. I have a goal that I'm shooting for. I sometimes fall short. The thing, though, that should stand out is the norm should be pressing on to following after Jesus. And the crashing and burning should be the exception. And when we crash and burn, we blow up. What's so wonderful is we have a Savior who gets down in the muck with us and says, come on, Phil, get up. And all he's waiting for is for us to get up. Lord, I want to go on. Now let's move on to the next passage of Scripture here, or the next point. 
Paul says, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother. And look at this coupling. My brother, my co-worker, and my fellow soldier, who was also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of me. Let, let me give you a little background. The church of uh, the Philippian church is located in the, in the city of Philippi in Greece, about 800 miles away from Rome. And what took place is the church of Philippi realized that the apostle Paul was in prison under Nero in Rome. Ultimately, he was beheaded. But he was in prison under Nero in Rome, and he had some needs. And so they took an offering. And they took this offering to help the apostle Paul in his captivity. And then when they took this offering, they asked who would be willing to take this offering to the apostle Paul. And evidently, Epaphroditus raised his hand. Now, you have to understand something. It's 800 miles, and there's no planes There's no trains, there's no cars, there's no buses, there's not even horses and mules, because horses and mules were the transportation of wealthy people, and they weren't. So here's what happened. The church took an offering, and they gave it to Epaphroditus, and he walked 800 miles. He walked 800 miles to bring that offering from the church of Philippi to the apostle Paul in prison in Rome. That's substantial. In fact, from what I understand, they say the average person walks at about three miles an hour. So if you walk for 10 hours a day, that's 30 miles. So if you walk for seven days a week, that's a little over 200 miles. So if you walk straight, that would be like four weeks to walk 800 miles. And you can be sure it was at least double that because it wasn't flat, easy walking. This man walked 800 miles. And look what Paul says about him. My brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier. He's a brother. We are family. We in Christ are brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, in the old days, we used to come to church before my time, but 100 years ago when it was very normal. Hey, brother Jim. Hey, sister Mary. Hey, brother, you know, Craig and whatever. We are family. And we all can relate to our biological family, whether it's the the immediate family or the larger family. We all have, perhaps, that one or two difficult people in our family. You know, there's always, maybe you are that one. (laughs) But we all have that one or two difficult people, right? What do you do? You just throw them out? No, they're family. And in the church, guess what? You're going to encounter every once in a while a weird person. Might be somebody named Phil. But we're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's important. And then the apostle Paul goes on. He says, he's my brother. He's my co-worker. Do you realize that we are called to a job? We have been called to build the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're this and some say you're that. And then he said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus went on and responded to him and said, and upon this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And how is Christ building his church? Through you and through me. We are the laborers. We have been called. You have a glorious, divine call and purpose and destiny. 
Now, you might think, well, the only ones who are important are the the people who play the instruments and and lead the worship and maybe the people who are talking and and the pastors. I want to share something with you. I've been a pastor for almost 40 years or a little less than. You want to know who's the most important from my perspective? It's the men and women who faithfully are about the Father's business that get no exposure, no accolades at all. But the church wouldn't be able to function without them. I think come judgment day, they're going to be the closest to the throne. Now that's not up for me to say, but they're the ones that make the kingdom work. And you have gifts and callings. You, I'm not talking to the person next to you. I'm not talking to the person in front or behind you. I'm talking to you have a call and you have gifts and you have abilities that are absolutely essential if we are going to be about the Father's business and see the kingdom of God grow. Be this kind of a guy. Barnabas. He's a team worker. We want to take our eyes off of self and put them on others. We want to be trustworthy and we want to be men and women who work as a team. We are the body of Christ. That's what we're called to be. Let's move on to the next slide because time's getting away from us. See, this is what happens when I'm given too much time to study. (laughs) Become a team player and grow in happiness. Learn to be considerate in ministry, marriage, work, recreation. work together. You know what? If you and I lock arms together and and a bunch of us lock arms together, we'll get things done that individually we couldn't. Pastor Darren can't build this church by himself. He might be wonderfully gifted, but he needs us to come around and all of us to lock arms and build the church of Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Let's go to the next slide, please. Okay. Mm, number four. Whew. Live for something worth dying for. This is something Pastor Darren had on his notes, so I just thought I'd put it in there. But there's a, some profound truth. What are you living for? We are either living for self or someone and something else. What animates you? What gets you up in the morning? What gives you reason and purpose? I want to submit that's what the good news of Jesus is all about. We've been called to love God, but watch this. But if we love God, we have to love people. I don't believe you can really love God and not love people. I I don't think you can do that. Now, we might not be as good as we want to be at it, But the Lord God loves us, for God so loves the world. And I'm supposed to love him, and I'm supposed to do his bidding, and if he loves the world, guess what? I'm supposed to like people too. And my caring should compel me to do. If we don't do, then it's just all for nothing. I know it's a little heavy but it's true. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Let's pass that one by. Let's pass that one by. Are you living for something bigger than yourself? Something worth giving your everything for? 
I love this passage. It's one of my favorite passages in Luke 2.49. Mary and Joseph lost the Savior. They're raising him. He's 12 years old. Can you imagine the trouble they must have thought they were in? The angel Gabriel said, here, you're going to give birth to the Savior. He's 12 years old. We lost the Savior. And they went back to find him. And it took them several days to find him. And they finally found Jesus in the temple. And Mary goes, why have you treated us like this? And Jesus said, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house about my father's business? That is one of the verses that compels my life. I certainly haven't arrived, but I want to be about the father's business. Sometimes it might involve being a pastor on a staff somewhere. Sometimes it might involve working for Ford. Sometimes I want to be about the Father's business. I want to challenge you as well. Let's be about the Father's business. You might say, well, I'm not sure all that that means. That's okay. Just start telling the Lord, Lord, I want to be about your business. Let's have the band come up, please. There are two questions Pastor Darren wanted me to pass on to you. So here we go. The first question is, what commitment have you started that you have not finished? Interesting question. Because most of us over the years, we, you know, we'll make a commitment in this area or we'll make a commitment in that area. And we might even be aware it kind of nags at us every once in a while and we haven't followed through. And, and you might want to consider, Lord, do you want me to pick that back up? Just food for thought. And then Pastor Darren asked this question as well. Is your commitment to Christ deep enough to cause you to risk your life? Let's all stand. You know, we live in a changing world, don't we? Sometime in the last year, I forget how long ago it was, but it wasn't that long ago in the Northwest, a terrorist broke in, I think it was at a school, and he asked a question. And the question that he asked, and I forget exactly what it was, but it was in essence... Are you a Christian or not? And if you weren't, if I recall, I might be mistaken, you were shot in the leg. And if you said you were a Christian, you got a bullet in the head. This just happened in America in the last year. We're living in a changing world. I want to live for Christ. And if it be his good pleasure, die for him. I'd rather not get a bullet in the head. Don't misunderstand me. But I want my faith to be such that I'm willing to lay my life down. And so we're going to sing a couple of more songs. I'm just going to pray real quickly. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each and every one of us. I know this was kind of a substantial message. But Lord, I want us to know the joy of the Lord. And I want us to know happiness. Help us where we have to refocus to get our focus on you and on other people. Help us to be trustworthy people that can be entrusted with the things of the kingdom and the confidentialities of people. Help us to be team builders and men and women who are willing to pay whatever cost you would have us to pay. We love you, Lord, knowing that you first loved us. Let's just worship him.